Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. This is for all the moms who have buried their children who with prematurely lost, been in an accident, or died for some reason. We don't always know what the reasons are of a disease or whatever might have come. And it's for all the moms who that your children left home, maybe not on the best of notes in communication and conversations, little than any. This is for all the moms whose hearts have been broken over the wrong choices that your children have made that maybe have shamed you, crushed you, and disappointed and left you brokenhearted today. Today's really a challenging day for you as some you don't even know where they're at. This is for all the moms that maybe have had an abortion and terminated their pregnancy and are living at times even in pain as a reality of the choice that you made hits, struggling with forgiveness even towards yourself. But this good news is, is that Jesus is not here to put you under guilt trips or make you feel bad for the wrong choices you made, but he wants to restore your broken heart today. And I assure you this, and I'm convinced after being a student of the Word for 40 years that we're going to see those children again on glory. They're not just going to be little babies. They're going to be grown up on the other side. I believe there's whole schools in heaven and the whole aspect of, of every need that a child has. I, I believe that within the inside. There's going to be a great day when we see Christ. And this is for all the moms who were forgotten on their special days. I remember somebody coming to me one time and says, I forgot my wife's birthday one day, one time. What does that mean? After that, they never forgot it again. <laughs> but they forget their birthdays and anniversaries and even Mother's Day. And the ones oftentimes that you pour the most out into that maybe have abandoned and reject you because of a misunderstanding or whatever life brings. This for all the moms who have cried out to the Lord for their families and they still ended up in divorce. And now you seldom see them or the grandchildren at many times. And it's for all the moms who miscarried and a part of you was lost. And if you understand the grief, the sorrow, and the pain that you've been through that year, yet they're with Jesus, I believe, today and growing. I remember I got the call many, many years ago. And my close friend, Pastor Dave and Barb, and they lost their child, Natalie. And remember, they, she miscarried, and, and the baby lived and for three months or so. But we, as soon as we got the call, I was actually in Ohio doing a conference in I just felt I needed to cancel and just come right back to try to be alongside and stand with them. They understand what it is, and only a mother that has lost a child would understand the loss and the pain. It's for all the moms who believe, as Lydia did, for her whole household to be born again. And this is for all the moms that are standing on the promise of God to see their families born again. And on the right track with the Lord, who won't quit, won't give up, back down for believing that their child will serve the Lord one day. It's for all the moms who have lost their children for whatever reason, and the emptiness that you're experiencing today is incredible, painful, whether it's in severance of a relationship or whatever it might be. It's for all the moms that blew it with their children and did all the right things. One of the most amazing things that's hit my life is seeing the young ladies going through the home and knowing that not only the addiction, whatever it might be, but also the loss of their children and the severance of relationships, but then seeing how God is restoring them and then restoring their families brings me incredible, incredible delight. It's for the moms that maybe blew it and your children did all the wrong things and tried and tried and tried but yet failed and were so wrapped up with self-hatred 
And yet this Jesus with the cross has brought healing to all of us who have missed the mark, messed up in life, hurt the ones that we love the most, and yet he still loves us. He reaches out to us. And maybe you're here this morning and you're a champion in his eyes. He wants to encourage you and help you to break the guilt, the shame, and the pain off your life this morning because it's time to get out of the regrets and to move forward. And I believe what's on my heart to share is going to really penetrate your heart. It's a message I've never shared anywhere before. It's a message I've never heard a sermon on. It's a message about Job's wife we're going to be talking about. And it's always been, whenever you mention Job's wife, I've never heard a positive thing about her. But God revealed, and I believe he revealed it to me for this Mother's Day, to share with each one of you that's here today of the God of the restoration. And this is the last, this is to all the moms and, and, uh, and who did all the right things, and yet things didn't turn out like you thought, and today you're hurting so deeply inside and wondering, did God forsake me? God is here to embrace you and to pick you up and put you back in faith. And thanks, he wants you to know you're special and wants you to enter in through the walls of confusion that may be around your heart and wants to bring encouragement in there. One thing I've learned in 40 years on this pathway is that God's not the issue. He's not the one inflicting and causing pain in our hearts. Did you hear me? And I know this from the scripture, and you're going to see in just a moment when we talk about that. Finally, this is to all the moms, and if we could all stand together, all of us, for all the moms who have not quit when the going was tough, persevered, when everything in spite of their personal pain and difficulties, they hung in there, and the world was falling apart, yet you're the champions today. You're the winners of the race you're the winner, uh, you're the most incredible encouragement to us this morning that are here. To all the women and moms today, WCF says we're proud of you, we honor you, we believe in you, and our lives are strengthened and better because of you today. Be blessed, be refreshed today, and may everybody treat you like the queen that you really are. Hug a few of those moms around you today, high five of them, and tell them how much you appreciate them being in this service this morning. Glory to God. Are you all ready for the word? Let's start off and see what the kids of WCF have got to say about their mothers today. And so don't be surprised when your kid says something about you. Go ahead and put it on. A koala. Tiger, a cheetah, a horse, an eagle, a lion, a rhino, and a gorilla. Right. Um, chipmunk. What did you say? So, um, a penguin. A squirrel. A bear. A penguin. Giraffe. Kitten. She's so calm and like she's not desperate and she like is patient. Because she's tall. Because chipmunks are really cuddly and fuzzy. Because she's calm. They're really strong. Yep. Because she's nice. She cuddles a lot. 
I love her. And also, like, I like how she always helped me with school and my homework and stuff. I love that she's always caring about us and kissing us before um, we go to sleep. That she's nice because she makes my dinner. Because she's nice, she makes me dinner. That she gives me birds at night so I don't have bad dreams. Um, she's nice, she kisses me, she hugs me. I love her. She, I like her, she likes me. Happy Mother's Day. I love you, Mom. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. I love you. Love you and Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. I love you. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Bye. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. I love you. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. I love you. Out of the mouth of babes. I want to talk to you today for the next short while about a woman that has, I've never heard in 40 years, one positive thing about. As a matter of fact, myself included, I've never heard a minister ever speak one positive thing about this person. And yet, the Bible has a lot more to say about her than I had ever heard. And the name of this woman is Job's wife. We don't know much about her. We don't know much of her family. We don't know who her daddy was. We don't know who her mama was. We don't know really much about her other than she was Job's wife and that between her and Job, they had 20 children. And I'm gonna get back to there about where she had the 20 children because it records the first 10 children that she has, and then it records at the end of the book about another 10 children, which leads me to the whole premise of what I'm going to be sharing. She's known as a woman that seemed incredibly bitter. She's known as a woman that seemed incredibly negative, and she's known for one statement that the scripture says that I've heard about for many years. When Job was in his lowest point, she comes up to him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? We've never really looked at the standpoint of what happened inside of her life to cause her to get that way. And maybe for just these next few moments, you're going to see something of restoration that took place inside of this woman's life. I can assure you of this here. I did not get what I'm going to share out of a book. I've never heard anything good about this woman in a book. I've never heard anything good about this woman, period. As a matter of fact, I've even made statements. I'm sure glad I didn't marry her. Okay, but anyway, we're going to see something about her today, Job's wife, that I believe is going to bless you. Let's go to Job chapter 1, verse number 1. I'm going to read a few verses here. There was once a man, and this is the oldest book in the Bible. It said, there was once a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless and a man of complete integrity. And notice what it says. He feared God and stayed away from evil. And he had how many sons? Come on, seven sons and how many daughters? 
and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. And he employed many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in the entire area. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. And when these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, we could say they were party animals. We could say they liked to party all day long. Come on. Just like even the Hebrew weddings were actually lasted sometimes two and three days. We won't get into that right now. But it says Job would purify. It says Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes. And they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them when the celebration's in it. Sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said to himself, what did he say? Perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular practice. Job's first test, one day after the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord and the accuser. How many can say accuser? How many know Satan came with them? I'm not here to develop the whole message about the accuser, the brethren. It was a message that I actually already have developed and was going to teach today. But as I started uh, started pondering this morning on what I was going to share, this is what I really believe I'm supposed to share. It says that Job lost, it goes on, and he lost all 10 of his children in one tragic event. We also saw that he lost all of his livelihood. We also saw that he lost all of his, not only his children, all of his sheep, all of his camels. He lost everything that he had. He lost his dignity. He lost everything inside. And we saw that it wasn't God, it was the enemy. And I'm not here to develop all the aspects of why. I'm not here to tell you all the reasons, but I will tell you this here. Job was consumed with fear about his children. And he offered the sacrifices, not in faith, he offered the sacrifices in case his children had sinned, in case his children had lost the fear of the Lord. And he did it not out of faith in any way, but he did it in fear. And in Job chapter 3, it tells us that Job says this year, 323, the thing that I greatly feared. It didn't say the thing that I feared, but it said the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me. And in those verses, we see something of creativity and the creative power of mankind. Job says the thing that I greatly feared has come upon. It was created by my fear. The Bible teaches us in the new covenant that perfect love dispels all fear. The Bible teaches us that whatever is not of faith, whatever is not of faith is actually called sin. So we could actually even say Job in, in his blinders actually was operating and doing something not in faith in any way, but was actually even in sin, but didn't know it. And so because of it, it was not imputed to him. But I want to state this here fact. Something happened inside of Job's life. If you'll read all the way through from Job chapter 1 all the way through to chapter 42, and by the way, go to Job 42 now, you'll see that Job had three friends. And his three friends were all religious leaders of that day. And they all came to him, and I'm not going to even try to pronounce all their names, but Bilhad and the Shumamite and, and the others. And all three of them came to Job, pointed the finger of condemnation to them. All three of them came and put him on guilt trips. 
All three of them said all the things that he was doing wrong. There's their names over there. Try to, to Eliphaz, the Temanite, and Bildad, the Shunammite, and Zophar, the Namite, uh, did as the Lord commanded them, and the Lord accepted Job's offer. We're going to be going over there in a moment and speak about those three men. But how many know the things that those three men stated, as well as the things that Job stated, was truly stated? They actually did say those things. Now, I want you to get a hold of this because, and don't mark me as, as some weirdo, but how many know the Bible, what it states, it states not only what they said, it states about what they did, the good, the bad, and the ugly, but how many know everything in the Bible is truly stated? But not everything in the Bible is necessarily a statement of truth. I'm going to qualify. You can put up Job 42, verse 1 now. And, and this is what I mean by that. How many know Ananias and Sapphirias were asked by the apostle Peter, did you sell the land for such a price? And they said, yeah, we did. Now, how many know it's truly stated, but it's not a statement of truth? In the same thing, when you read through the book of Job, you're going to see some things that were truly stated, but they're not necessarily statements of truth. I want to state something else when it says that the Lord put all these things here on Job. One of the doctors of divinity, Dr. Young's, in his concordance actually shares about how the translators, when they were translating, put God as the cause of the thing. And it wasn't necessarily God doing it, but they said because of the permissive will of God, they interpreted it as the Lord was the one inflicting and causing these here things. That statement that I heard many, many years ago was one that really brought great relief and understanding to my mind, okay? Because in the New Testament, it brings a totally different picture of God. God wasn't the one that was putting boils on people. Uh, God wasn't the one that puts cancer on people. Come on now. But how many know he, he was brought, in it, and it says in there that the Lord did this and the Lord did that. Well, literally, there's hedges about every one of us in the spirit realm. Until we understand, whenever we have a hedge about us, how many know the wicked one can roar, the wicked one can lie, the wicked one can intimidate it, he comes as a roaring lion, but he can't overstep the boundaries that are up in the spirit realm because there's a boundary of the blood around us. But when we violate the laws of God and we make the wrong choices inside of our life, that hedge can come down. And that's where the enemy can inflict. And i very, very sad to say, even in nations today, I believe the hedge is down. And my heart goes out to all our, our fellow Albertans right now. But we have to ask ourselves some questions in the depths of our heart. And I'm not looking for the answers right now. I'm looking for God to show mercy on the, on the whole province. Can you all say amen? And I'm praying just like you are for the reign of God to hit out of nowhere to come. Because they said there's nothing in there. But I'm believing God that we're going to get rain. I'm believing God that he's going to preserve lives. I'm believing God that he's going to turn it back and bring a revival that's out of even the heap of ashes that are there. So in Job, it tells us in chapter 42, and I have to go there for time's sake. And let's look in verse number one. We want to read something over here. And it said, then Job replied to the Lord. So how many know God had something to say? Okay, and it said, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You ask, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? Is it is I, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. Now, look what he says in verse number six. Everybody say it together. I, come on, take back, come on, everything I said, and come on, and I 
sit in dust and ashes to show my what? Repentance. How many know, apparently Job and the others had said some things that God didn't tell them to say? An example of that would be the Lord giveth. Come on. And the Lord taketh away. Blessed be his name. So at funerals you hear the Lord taketh away. Come on. Truly state it, but not necessarily a statement of truth. Line it up with what every good and perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variable, there's neither shadow of turning. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. How many know God, he's a good God or he's a bad God? He's not a double-minded God, he's not a schizophrenic God. He's a single-minded God. And then look at the next verse, because this is where I want to start. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, look what he says over here to Eliphaz, Okay. He said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends. That's Bildad and the other. For you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So apparently they pointed the finger to Job and blamed him for some things and accused him of some things of why bad things were happening inside of his life. But they didn't do it right. And then look at the next verse says in verse number eight, we're going to be going right down over here. So take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job, what's he going to do? Come on, we'll pray for you and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. And I will not treat you as you deserve. Aren't you glad for God's mercy? How many have ever said something you wish you didn't say? How many have ever written somebody off that you wish you didn't write off? How many have ever judged somebody that you wish you didn't judge? Because if you judge without mercy, then guess what? It's going to come back to you. But it's not going to just come back the way you gave it out. It's going to come back good measure, pressed down, shaking together and running over. Shall men get back under your bosom? For with the measure you put it out, so it's going to come. And then he says something else over there. He said, so my servant Job will pray for you. And I will accept his prayer on your behalf, and I will not treat you as you deserve. For you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. Now, this is the next verse. Look at, look at the next verse here. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuman, and Zophar the Namanite did as the Lord commanded them. They brought the offering, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And then what happened? And then what happened? When Job, everybody say, when Job prayed for his friends. How many know the friends weren't really friends? I mean, no, there's some friends that act very unfriendly at times. It said the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him how much? Come on. Twice as much as before. Now look what it says over there. It says, then all the brothers and sisters and former friends. How many know you find out who your real friends are when tragedy hits? And apparently they all had disowned him and all just said, woe is me, and weren't around there. But then it's, and this whole thing lasted nine months. And his former friends came and feasted with him in his home. And they consoled him and comforted him because of all of his trials that the Lord had brought against him. And again, that's the causative that they're bringing. And each of them brought him what? A, come on, a gift of money. What else did they bring him? And a gold ring. 
So you can add all that up, but go to the next verse over there in verse 12. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life, even more than in the beginning. I'm here to tell you today, if you're 50 and up, God's got a future for you, and he wants you to finish well, and your other half of your life is going to be much better than the first part of your life. And if you're younger, you don't have to go through the same things that many of us did, but learn from our mistakes so you don't have the same mistakes again. So why? He's the God of the double that wants wants to increase your life. He's not the, called the God of the decrease taking away. He's called the God of the increase that wants to implant into your life. So it says for now he has 14,000 sheep. He started off with seven. How much does that mean? Seven and seven is what? 14, the double. And then 6,000 camels. How many did he start off with? And then 1,000 teams of oxen. And 1,000 female donkeys. Okay, look at this next verse. It's going to blow your circuits over here. He also gave Job, come on, seven more sons and three more daughters. Keep going if you will. Glory to God. He named the first daughter who? Jemima, the second, Kezian, the third, Karen Kabuch. Now, I might not be pronouncing it right, but Aunt Jemima is one of my favorite pancake mixes, okay? So let's go to the next one, if you will. 15, look at about these daughters. And in all the land, no woman were as lovely as the daughters of Job. And their father put them into his will along with all the brothers. I want to state something to you. The man lived another 140 years. Look at the next verse, as a matter of fact. Job lived how many years? After the tragedy. Living to see how many generations of his children and grandchildren. My gosh. Not only did God restore, but he restored more. Come on. The point I want to bring out, when Abraham lost his wife, Sarah. Sarah died. The Bible records that. And then the Bible said this young whippersnapper, come on, married a young girl, Keturah. He found this hot chick and said, hey, come on, girl, you're coming in. We're getting married over here. Brought her into the tent, and they had a whole bunch more kids and names them all. Come on. So get, get upset about the terminology, but the reality is he was an old man. And he married a girl, and they had more kids, and he was still going. Can you say amen? And, and listen, they didn't have Viagra. They didn't have any of that stuff back then. So get upset about it. It really doesn't bother me, but the point I want to bring out is it never records that Job married somebody else. It never records that he died, that she died. But it records that Job had 10 more children afterwards. And those uh, children is what I want to talk about right now. It doesn't tell us the males. Interesting enough, it tells us the females. And it tells us that him and Job got back, uh, him and his wife got back into the tent again and started getting healed again. And it tells us that when God, he prayed for his enemies, God restored him, but he restored something else. He restored the love that he had for his wife and the love that his wife had for him, no matter what the pain was. And the first one's name, are you ready for this here? Everybody say, come on, Jemima! But this is what it means. Warm affection and hang on. Literal translation from the Hebrew dictionary, day by day, you can be seated. What we learned from Job's wife is that the healing was a process in their life. We saw the pain, 
that she experienced in the loss of 10 children, the loss of all their dignity, the loss of all their finances, the loss of all their cat, the loss of everything. And yet we see after a hit tragedy disappointment, the best advice we could possibly have is Jemima. Jemima means day by day. Day by day we get better. Day by day we get through. The most important thing is when a hit and tragedy and disappointment betrayal hits us is that we move forward not looking back except to forgive. Come on. Some days in our lives are so painful. Some days in our life are so unjust. Some days are so hurtful. Some days are so demoralizing and so frustrating, so discouraging that the only recourse that we have is to make a decision. We're going to move forward day by day. And as John Maxwell wrote a book, Today Matters, it's all about one day at a time because that one day at a time is going to determine the outcome that we're going to have. After the toughest of blows in life, we need to take one day at a time. Time to heal. Time to get back up again. Time to regroup. Time to dream. Time what? What? This is an incredible antidote for all impatience and frustration. Can you imagine the pain of losing 10 children in one day? Could you imagine the pain of seeing your husband devastated and then trying to wrap yourself, your head around it? Why is all this happening to us? And then hearing Job's friend, I'm sure didn't help a whole bunch. But then we see the second daughter. Everybody say, day at a time. I mean, no, the Bible says we're changed, transformed from glory to glory. It's a day at a time. It's not just a quick fix. It's a day of process out there. Number two daughter, for time's sake, of his daughter was Kezia. Say Kezia. Kezia means cinnamon. Okay. From the name of a spice tree, Kezia is called the Chinese cinnamon, consisting of the aromic, having an aroma, bark of the cinnamon. In the cassia plant of family, okay, the bark is more pungent, less delicate flavor, and is thicker than cinnamon bark. What jumped out me was I was studying this here out, was the aspect of aroma. Everybody say aroma. There's something about cinnamon that has a, a fresh cinnamon. I put oils in my, my little, uh, on my little dif- diffuser by the side of my bed, and I just love the smell of cinnamon, amen? And you put it in there, and I put these other smells, and I just like it, and, and it's very relaxing to me. But the amazing thing that jumped out me was the word aroma. And having an aroma means a distinctive odor by which a person or animal can be traced, the sense of smell. The Bible tells you and I that our life, according to 2 Corinthians 2.14, but thanks be to God, he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses, now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume or like a sweet aroma. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God, but this fragrance is perceived differently by by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a taste as this? A task as this. Now, what I've learned about smells, there's aromas up from my life that attracts God. And there's aroma that attracts God in your life. Come on. And gratitude is how we enter in before the throne of grace. And gratitude is a sweet aroma that goes up that actually attracts good things to your life. They've even proven this now scientifically and medically in every other way. But I mean, ingratitude, or listen, our honor and dishonor actually are two laws that attract. You find a bitter person and they are attracted to other bitter people. 
You find an unforgiving person, they're attracted to other unforgiving people. There's a law of attraction, but this law works both in the positive and negative. I remember a few years ago, Maro and I were over going to Venezia, which we would call Venice one day, and the two of us were inside the car. And early in the morning, 7 in the morning, I went to the grocery store when it opened, and I got a loaf of hot bread, the hot ciabatta bread, and I got it right out of the oven, just got it and brought it in, and I had a, a jar of anchovies with the oil, the big jar. And these anchovies, I mean, pizza is not the same without anchovies. I mean, I love my wife, and that's the only reason I can't order them, because she can't stand the smell of them. So we opened up the anchovies, and we opened it up. Maros is a real Sicilian. Okay, and that aroma hit the car and the two of us severed, dipping our torn bread with our hands into the oil and putting these hairy anchovies on them and just devouring them. And in the back seat, we heard, you're disgusting, open the windows, you're killing us back here. To those that are perishing, it was on the road to destruction. But to us that are being saved, man, it was a sweet aroma in the car. You know, Kathy's one of them women, okay, that she, uh, you know, I, I got all these different colognes, okay? Listen, the colognes that I have, I got the Tommy, I got the Hugo, I got all these gifts that people have given me. But there's only one that attracts her. And it's right here. It's called Polo Black. She was in the service, and when I put it on this morning, Kathy got out of her seat and came right down. And, and just chased me down and gave me a big kiss on the side of my... I, I just got in the first thing. Why? Because it's an aroma that attracts her. There's only two aromas that actually attract her. Polo Black and Tires. You say, what do you mean tires? Go to Costco. I went over there one day. Costco, and I got a, so I asked the guy, I said, you got any tires, you know, fresh rubber? He said, what are you talking about, man? I said, I just need a sample, like a little bit of rubber. He said, what for? He said, I said, you don't need to know. He said, well, what do you need it for? I said, I just need it for my wife. He said, what? I said, she just loves the smell of fresh rubber, fresh tires, rubber. And so anyway, so I, so, so I got a piece, I put it by the nightstand in my bowl of black, and I, how many know, amen, I got to win. Well, let me just ask you a question this morning. What smell is coming out of your life? What's the aroma that's coming out of your life? Maybe you need a little bit of uh, uh, polo black over here, Jack. Maybe, maybe, Don, you can put a little polo black. And Ken, maybe you need the double portion. No, we're going to do the triple. And tonight, Lucky's going to be a different night. Why? Because, because listen, 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 he went to the tent. Job went to the tent and said, girl, day by day, we're going to get back up. Day by day, we're going to have a sweet aroma of gratitude to God. Day by day, we're going to get healed. And then God says, okay, now I can restore the double. I got to get ready. I got to go home in a few minutes. Okay. Okay. What I've learned over life is aromas attract, and I don't have time to develop that in any future. Finally, now everybody's going to go. Honestly, you go over there with my wife, and she'll walk out of the store, and she's gone. She goes over the tires, and she'll, ah. And it's like, girl, where are you? Amen. See, some of you haven't even learned. Some of you say, that's crazy. Hey, I don't give a flip how crazy it is. It's working, okay? So, so let's go, okay. Anyway, so... So everybody say, day by day, and the aroma. What smell is that? You know, you're in a room, well, we'll leave that. <laughs> I got to close, okay. Job had three daughters. Everybody stand up for the last one. And her name was Karen, 
Hapuk. What does that mean? Well, I looked it all up, and I found out that this word means to shine. How many know when we go day by day, how many know God's presence, when the atmosphere is right, can now heal, forgive, restore, and give us the double? Come on, church. The word over here, and I got these dictionaries, all these different dictionaries, and it means, it, it, it says, the, new, the Old Testament proper names goes with the meaning of shine. But then also it means the splendor of, the color of. And then I looked up one dictionary over here, and this is the BDP theological dictionary reads, the horn of antimony or the horn of beautifier. And one of the Easton's dictionaries that I have literally means the horn of the face paint. And I'm like, what, what does this name have to do, God, with, with, with the name? And th this is what I got. Just as a woman would put all the makeup on, just as a woman would put all the stuff on her face to make her look beautiful, to make her, come on now, come, takes care of all the wrinkles and everything. Now she's shining in such a way that she's attractive. The Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and bring glory to your Father. And then I looked up the horn. What does the horn mean? So, so shine and horn, it's the two definitions are interchangeable. And I'm like, what does that mean? And then I studied horn, and for, the, for time's sake, it is often used metamorphically to speak of strength and to speak of honor because the horn are the chief weapons and ornaments of the animals which possess them. Hence, they are also used as a type of Victory. So what do we mean when we find Karen Hapchuk? We found out something out there that she got a revelation of the victory that God has provided for him. And the two went into the tent of meeting. And the two went on not to have one child or two children or three children. But they had seven sons and three daughters. Come on. Now. And we could develop the whole aspect of ten and the numeric value of what that is. After the time of testing comes the breakthrough inside of our life. And maybe God just brought you here this morning, sir. Maybe he brought you here this morning, man, to know that this God of the breakthrough it's day by day it's day by day what you do day by day is going to determine the outcome of what you have the day by day presence of God the day by day seeking his faith the day by day walking in forgiveness is going to release a sweet aroma to God and that sweet aroma is going to cause you to shine so that you can get your strength back you can get back up again because this God of the double is in our midst today and this God wants to change our lives not from the outside but from the inside out and everybody said came at Karen Hapuk. Amen. Now you know Job's wife, a good part of Job's wife, a good story, a happy ending, that she went on and became a fruitful vine. She could have stayed bitter, but she didn't. She got up every day and went on to make something of our lives. On this Mother's Day, I want to close with this. Don't be bitter about what could have been, what should have been, wish you would have been, but be a thanker of God today that you are laying a pathwork for your tomorrow. And it doesn't matter how young you are, and it doesn't matter how old you are. I believe for each one of us, if we bring in the aroma of gratitude, God's going to work, and he's going to restore all to us. I remember Charles O'Miles from across the river, pastored a very strong church, Dr. Charles O'Miles, went to his funeral, six-hour funeral. So much honor. And I remember Charles, he pointed me out when he first met me. He said, bro, I don't know everything you went through. But he says, I see God giving you the double for all of your trouble.
and I can literally say, I had three kids, now I got six. Can you all say amen? Amen. And I could go into everything that God has blessed me with the double. Father, as we partake of this bread this morning on this incredible Mother's Day, for those, God, that are, are in pain today, those that are just hurt today, those that may a decision be made that they're going to take day by day with the grace of God, because till midnight, we have the same grace for today. But at midnight, there's a new grace that's coming. There's a new enablement that's coming. There's a new presence of God that's coming. And I thank you, Father God, when that period ends, there's a new grace the next day and a new grace the next day and a new grace the next day. That day by day, we're not going to get bitter and out of the race. We're going to get better and stay in the race of faith. So God, thank you. Help us as Job forgave them and prayed for them. So may we do that for all those that have hurt us caused us pain, rejected us, caused hurt in our lives. May we be the bearers of Karen Kapuch. May we be the bearers, Father God, to let our light shine today. And it starts with the forgiveness from the cross that you freely gave us, so we give it to others. Let us partake of the bread. And Father, as we have the bread in our hands, the cup in our hands, so we thank you that the most painful memories can be used as a springboard into the good things that you have for our future. Because what you've shown me is out of that pain, now I can have sensitivity and understanding for others that might go into the pain to give them hope to bring them out. Not stay stuck in the ruts, not paralyzed by fear or insecurity, but by the good God that lives on the inside of each one of us. We thank you today as we have the cup that the residue of shame the residue of condemnation and all the guilt is all purchased at the cross through the blood of Christ. Let us partake today as we've confessed our sin in Jesus' name. And everybody let out a shout and say, amen and amen. I want you today to reach out, but I want you as we leave today to have an assignment. Call mom, call him and make amends. Don't allow it to go on another day. When you operate in honor, things will go well for you. When you operate in dishonor, things won't go well. And dishonor means to put little value upon, to see lightly. But you esteem your mama, you esteem your grandma, you esteem all the mamas that you come in contact with and be a blessing to them today and have the most amazing day of your life. God bless you. You are dismissed.